0: All right so Matt Matt you're, you are uh, you're traveling you're in Singapore. First of all what hotel- And you know if you don't want to reveal that's fine but like well let me ask it this way. What type of hotels do
1: you stay at when you're in Singapore? Oh oh so we have a a go-to hotel mm-hmm. and uh uh it's called The Warehouse. The Warehouse. And it's a little it's it's a little boutique hotel um back in the 1860s it started oh as a uh a, literally a warehouse right yeah
0: now now, and, now now are you about to tell me that you don't consistently stay at the same hotel chain to make sure that you can ensure your status each ding, year
1: ding 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 oh man <laughs> Well, uh, And I have good reasons, right? Uh-huh. So okay. I, I, right. I, went, I, I went to Tasmania, uh-huh. and I, 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 you know, I was trying to book a hotel, and I was like, I'm going to use some of that sweet, sweet SPG points, and uh, we'll do the family vacation in Tasmania. And they were like, uh, your nearest hotel is Melbourne, 1,200 yeah. miles right. away. And then I was like, well, okay, fine. I'll save those. Uh, I'll go to uh, New Zealand. And uh, they're like, uh, oh, your nearest hotel is Sydney," <laughs> yeah. and so you kind of get like, "Well, I, I, f- I feel like no I feel like there's
0: share. a Sheraton in Auckland that we stayed in." Oh, I'm is sure that, there is. Is. That, is, that, is that right,
1: Kim? Didn't we stay
0: in a hotel when we were in Auckland? You did. No, we stayed at Airbnb. A hotel one night. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. That's right. We stayed in a Sheridan in Sydney. So, I don't think... Yeah, you're right. I don't think there's any Starwood.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, they, they have them. You know, they, they've they got big enough networks, but... And now they have Marriott. I've never been... You a, like how I'm I've trying never to never solve your problems? I, I, You know, I've got some Marriott stuff, too. Okay. I, I'm i not a hotel loyalty guy. Um, right. I, like, I like the little funky boutique hotels. Mm-hmm. I want to stay... You know, if, if there's a conference, I'm mm-hmm. going to try to stay in the conference hotel... Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm not a hotel loyalty. This is a, this is I, I,
0: all incredibly reasonable. I I approve of your reasoning, just fine. You know,
1: I th- and, and and I had a, a in depth conversation on this topic earlier tonight, and uh, I'm also not a uh, airline uh, a credit card loyalist. Mm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a maximalist on the uh, generic point accumulation. Yeah. So.
0: Now, aren't you a cash back person?
1: uh yes that? yeah well no, no no i i got the uh the the chase sapphire uh mm. i've got the preferred and i'm going for the 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 fancy fancy uh you know the black card one
0: no no what is that's that 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 chase sapphire that's what everyone seems that you should get now what is what is this black one what is that is that like one of these four hundred dollar a year things and you get to go yes and like so what do you get for that <laughs>
1: Uh yeah so I've got the the preferred which is the the $100 a year mm. and, and that gives me I think 3% on flights and 2% on restaurants and hotels okay and you know if you travel a fair amount you're going to hit that and and so I I'm just coming off of uh a good solid you know 7 8 10 days of vacation and my hotel most of the time was through points I see.
0: And then you of course have like eight kids, so that three percent
1: adds up. That's that's a lot that's a lot of money back. Wait, wait, wait. I, I'm no Cody Bunch. I've got I've got two kids. Uh three kids. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Whoa. Oh no, no, yeah. I have three three lovely children. Uh-huh. Uh the oldest w- was not on this trip. He was doing an exchange program in Japan. Whoa. So he went to Japan. The rest of the family, my two kids, my other two kids. Uh huh. Um, my other two kids and my wife, we went and did, uh, uh, five days in Northern, northeast Australia in you know, Cairns, Daintree Rainforest, mm. that part of the country, if you're familiar with it. And then we went from the very, uh, rustic rural area to Singapore I and see. did, you know, five, four nights in Singapore.
0: Now, now, okay. I, last question before I get to what I originally wanted to ask. <laughs> uh, now you're saying you're trying to upgrade your Sapphire thing. Now what's, yes. what's the next level?
1: The next level is uh, Chase has some sort of uh, you know, the, the fancy Schmancy five hundred four hundred dollars a year card. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and before I had my, my life of too much travel, um, I was like, "That's ridiculous. but um, you know, if you spend too much money traveling and you put everything on the same card, you're going to make up that 400 dollars pretty fast, because it pays, I think, five percent back. Oh, um, is, is that what you get? Is that it? Well, flights, travel. Um, Does, is there like
0: lounge access or something?
1: Restaurants, um, uh, global entry, uh-huh. um, some kind of lounge access. It's got, you know, perks, lots and lots of perks around, you know, travel insurance. Um, I actually use travel insurance my old card. I, I blew out a, a tire mm. uh, on a rental card. And did the the uh, roadside assistance save me four hundred bucks? Right. So I mean, these things eventually, if you travel too much, pay off. Um, and if you go to like pointsguy.com, dot uh, com, it's the card they recommend if you're not loyal to an airline yeah. or a hotel. Yeah. So
0: you're
1: so, so you're talking about so the Chase Ch- uh... Ch- Ch- Sapphire Reserve, is that right? Yeah, that's the okay. one. That's the okay. one. So my 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 preferred. Uh, expires at the end of the year, okay. And you know, it, the card literally is about to like wh- burn a hole through it. I've won't used it so much, yeah. and so I've 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 applied for the uh, the reserve.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to do some research while Brandon asks you some follow up. <laughs> yeah, questions Yeah, I was just going
1: to say like I think there's like some
2: good. Um... I'd love to, like, f- figure out, like, talk to the the Chase people or just the psychology of this because I've heard um, many people have kind of just done what you've gone through. Like, they had the, the Sapphire, and then they've read the online thing saying if you do a certain amount of money, the points guy, right? But uh, so it, it kind of leads me to believe it's like, well – and it, it usually when people talk about it, they say something like, well, I'm going to get the money back. I'm going to get the $400 back because I'm already planning to do, like, X, Y, Z. Like, I'm going to travel I just this much.
1: Yeah. I just did $2,000 $2, in hotel rooms.
2: Right, yes. Yeah. So, so it's a. Uh, <laughs> so that's like the first thing that everyone – but I, I think it creates uh, this strong loyalty, right? Because like you've done this math in your head, right? Like if you spend $400, you then are going to really make sure that you do something else on that card that gives you that money back, right? And that – you know what I mean? And, and then, it, then you're going to remember that. You're going to remember like, yeah, I did that and I got the money back. And that's why and then you're gonna like kind of do some uh or confirmation bias like, oh, this was a good decision. Cause I think there's like so much psychology embedded in this card, right? And I think there's something in magic about like four hundred dollars seems to make you really think about it and like it almost becomes like part of you versus like I don't know, the Costco cards like you know, let like our annual fees like fifty or hundred bucks, and again you get that rebated, but you don't really do that. So I don't know. I just think Chase is onto something because you're not alone, right? I've heard many people like this card is often recommended to frequent travelers. I know many people have done it, and they almost always come back with like they they spend it, but then they, without prompt, they will tell you what they did to get the money back, right? So it's creating this like weird um, oh. psychology in people that like I did it and it was a good decision. Let me prove it to you why.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. I, if you if you look at the math, um, uh, I think American Express has. I don't know black card, you know platinum traveler card, something like that. That's in the same caliber. It's the same difference.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that that so, card that card used to be great, but it's not really that great anymore.
1: Yeah, there there are a lot of places that don't take Amex, which is weird. Ugh.
0: Well, so okay, I've done thanks to Brandon, I could do some research, <laughs> and I and I think I think one of the things they share that for me, and I'll explain why, is a blocker for these kind of cards. But they also give you, at least in the deal I'm seeing, you get three hundred dollar annual travel credit which basically means I looked up, I went two levels deep into the fine print and it's, it is what you would expect. It's airlines, hotels, rental cars, things like that. So like in your case, you'll make that back. I'm sure. Right. Like, cause you'll, I mean, I guess ironically, if you paid for everything with hotel points, but you probably will spend money on, on airfare stuff. Right. And yep. we would probably make that back since anyways, the problem that I always have is, is, and by problem, I just mean blocker for this is like we have to use a corporate Amex to book air, which is I don't. N- is nice. Yeah. Well, you're lucky. It's it's nice from a standpoint of like it handles all that stuff, but also it kind of like blocks me from all sorts of like you know credit card fun. So you know that if 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 uh if I could book like all my work stuff through my card, like whatever whatever the yearly payment was would be paid for. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right yeah so,
1: i mean i get to book everything on my card yeah
0: yeah yeah like like the uh the card that i have which i need to cancel now that i am no longer a one world <laughs> person when is uh you know it, i think Wait, it's like what well because well, i'm in amsterdam as you may recall yeah, it's, it's SkyTeam. this Australia. is this is well established
1: <laughs> i know but one world
0: yeah there, uh, there's no there's no the only one world here are two two ba flights to london a, a day if i remember uh there might be other ones, but I mean, it's it's all Sky Team here, man. Total Sky oh, Team. Oh my
1: gosh!
0: I've calculated that by the they end of did, the end yeah. of January, now, I'll they, have top tier status. But it's going to take did, did a while.
1: Did they do status matching?
0: Nope, nope. I think did I Did you looked, try? No, I, I I didn't try, but did I researched you try? that extensively. You try. And uh, no, it was posted in like June of 2018 that they no longer do that. And then I did some more research, and their website said they no longer do it. So you know me, I didn't check. No. But uh hey, hey.
1: <laughs> sometimes you gotta you get you gotta play the ugly American card <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Any, anyhow, in the,
2: case, in the case of Cote, it just means you're gonna have to pick up the phone and speak to someone. Oh my that, uh, god, that—that's oh, that, that the is, worst. That is a, that's and a we problem. all know that is a difficult hurdle to climb. Yeah, uh, oh, decline it's the time. worst.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, so the point being, if if I didn't have to use the corporate Amex, I would open up a separate card just for travel, and you know, then you got to carry the expense benefit. But like, whatever, it it would be fine. You probably get all these benefits, but. That kind of uh, – the point I was getting to is I have the American Airlines, like, top-tier card, which gets you all sorts of great stuff. But uh, I don't really get any of the travel credits because I don't put enough travel stuff on there. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see and, what and
1: I've got Executive Platinum on American, and I get nothing because I fly, you know, twice a year on American. Yeah, it's a bummer. So here's what my
0: original question was, uh, Matt. Was, so now what – when you're when you're out at the hotels, what's your breakfast strategy
1: ooh breakfast so um a lot of times um i uh if I'm on the road uh I don't have a good lunch plan right mm. so you know, some, that's people, the truth. some people you know they they're like, you know hey, i'll eat a'll I'll eat breakfast and you know i'm I'm a happy camper the rest of the day. Uh, I'm one of those people who like my blood sugar kind of bounces around a bit, and so I get hangry if I don't get enough food uh, mm-hmm. throughout the day. So I, I, I you know, I pack a granola bars. I, you know, snack between meetings, you know, and and when you get that you know solid five hour block from you know ten to three, I get kind of you know crabby. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I like to do is I have a huge breakfast. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Which, which is good for, you know, internationally, most hotels, well, I don't know what they do with the warehouse, but most hotels um, you go to have like a really nice. swanky breakfast, like a big that's, old breakfast that's,
1: buffet. That's why I'm about the warehouse. Awesome. Very good breakfast. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So what are what are you doing there? That. Are you getting the uh are you getting the the porridge? Are you going more for like no. the regional, like the the regional sort of uh, taste of things? Or well, there's there's no. always inexplicably there's always English breakfast stuff. Uh, I don't know I'm what the deal English with that
1: is. I'm not English breakfast person, right? Yeah. Right. So uh, I'm I'm you know mostly vegetarian, so I'm I'm not about you know the bacon and the the sausage that you get with the English breakfast. No. I, no. Don't care. I don't care for the roasted tomato. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, mushrooms, not really a breakfast food for I mean, me. Those, those baked beans? Are you kidding me? Don't get me started. Oh my god. So uh, I'll order the scrambled eggs from the English breakfast. Yeah. And uh, you know, so so it's usually I'll get either like scrambled eggs or uh-huh. some poached eggs. Uh-huh. Occasionally, I'll do the uh, uh, the eggs with the hollandaise, uh, eggs Benedict. Now, are you, so now are I'm, you
0: are you an omelet boy? You walk up to the station, you get an omelet, or occasionally
1: right so so i've been uh you know i've been away from home for uh 2 weeks now uh-huh. uh, you know family vacation and, and some work now and so i had uh a solid whoosh 10 days of breakfast buffets oh wow uh, living the dream <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, so it, it, I, I like to rotate. I'll go with the scrambled eggs one day. I'll do the, the poached eggs the next day. And then maybe an omelet. The, now, the now this, day.
0: this is a man not afraid to engage with people before drinking a pot of coffee. I admire that. I, I am not big on the, uh, the custom made food at breakfast. I just stick to the prearranged things. Okay. Okay. Two more questions and then we can stop boring <laughs> everyone. So what, what do you, what do you do with like the bread buffet? Are you hitting up all that bread or uh, no, do you avoid I, it?
1: I don't do the, I don't do any of the bread buffet. Okay. Um,
0: um, cheese platter. Cage. How about how about the cheese platter yes, tour? Yes, I do like the yeah? cheese platter.
1: Okay, so I, I usually load up on uh, the. I try to go heavy on the proteins. Mm. So I'll get some eggs. Usually get some yogurt with some nuts. Yeah, um, maybe a little bit of muesli. Um, maybe a piece of fruit. You know, not not very much. Um, uh, yeah, this is some hard hitting hitting stuff. You know, a big thing they have here in uh, in Asia is is salads at breakfast.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, and uh, and was, they uh, might just hit you up with some just like straight up Chinese food that you would have for
1: dinner. Yeah, yeah. And and the place that I was staying with my family, Indian buffet too. Oh, so nice. there was like Indian food and Chinese food and Singaporean mm-hmm. and you know eggs oh, yeah. and and a whole bunch of pastries. Oh. So sometimes you know a little moment of weakness, I I, I grab you know one pastry. Uh, I'd have with uh, my my two or three cups of coffee. All
0: right. Well, I'll I'll just answer the question myself very quickly, <laughs> and then we can get on to the ostensible topic of this podcast. Uh, until very recently, I would follow the strategy of just eat everything, which which was very pleasurable. Just like sample all the things. I wouldn't eat the bread because that's back when I didn't eat bread. Uh, but I would base unless I was in uh, Europe and I would eat a croissant because you're in Europe, especially France. But uh, yeah, you know, you just eat all the stuff, especially the smoked salmon love the smoked salmon on the buffet but nowadays i've tried to i I like to follow the uh eat less to be healthier plan and basically this is very terrible if you're a frequent traveler there's all this free stuff they have around you but basically i just eat the oatmeal whatever the local oatmeal thing is you got your muesli you know and or you might have your oatmeal and i'll have like a little bit of the smoked salmon because that's irresistible and maybe a little touch of fruit and then if I'm crazy, I'll go for like a tiny cube of uh, regional cheese, but that's mm. it. I don't know. We'll see what happens when I go to Asia. I might, I might have to break this and eat yeah. some of the steamed dumplings they have and just other well,
1: food. You can check out congee. Yeah, congee Yeah, kongi well, yeah, probably oh, okay. would be
0: pretty good. Like yeah, yeah. on this, yeah. I don't, I don't know what the difference is as far as health wise between rice and and like oats is, but I'll have to figure that out. Well. <laughs> there's, there's your tips on uh, these, these these things uh, get to be very important when you travel a lot. You got to figure out your breakfast buffet stuff, the right credit cards to have. You know, I think, I think, Matt, I think you've laid out the right strategy. If you get to book all of your airfare stuff on your own credit card, it's a clear thing. Now, uh, uh, is there anything before we get started, we should remind people about? We don't have any ads this week, but you know, you should join the Slack channel. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com uh slash slack, we should really start a frequent traveler channel where we can discuss things over there. But really we discuss more tech related things. That's right. And I I just added a new channel called Upvote Please, which is shameless self promotion begging if you're into that kind of
1: thing. Oh I gotta join that one.
0: Yeah, so I'll I'll post things there. Other people can post things there. And if you choose so you can go there and upvote it. Whatever that means in your social media channel hole of choice.
1: Uh, so. I'll go into Google Plus and knock that stuff out
0: Boom! <laughs> Relevant uh, and, then, and then before So how many shirts are left, Brandon? Are we still selling shirts or is that over?
1: Uh,
2: yeah, it's the very end So this is it All right. I think, uh, Get a the shirt like gray, medium, I think that's out But uh, everything else, I think there's still, still most colors so Do it, do it
0: today, do it before you forget So as Matt Ray mentioned Maybe not enterprise infrastructure software But it looks like Google Plus Finally shutting down which uh, is you're getting
2: any any tears in your uh, kumbacha about that? (laughs) I don't think any tears, but I do think it's uh, um, it's maybe what like many people and many different companies have often felt like, you know, there's a company, there's like some product you have, it's not doing well. No one wants to maintain it, but no one will let you shut it down. Mm. But then in this case, like someone found a bug and they're like, and it was, you know, you could almost see the meeting. Well, it's like, What's it going to take to fix it? And somebody's just like, forget it. Shut it down. Uh, <laughs> Burn so it down. It was, and it is, you know, at the scale of Google, right? You know, you think uh, you know, it's impossible to happen. But, you know, I think it's, it is the same kind of calculation, right? Oh, and, yeah. you know, there was lots of articles written on that. Of course, many people saying it should have been shut down like years ago. Well, um, but, it, but it does. I mean, the final thought there is just around, you know, you if you talk to people at Google and Google's always interviewing and, you know, you're always getting, you know, they're often, you know, kind of held up as like product geniuses or a lot of different things, but you just, you know, it's hard, man. I, you know, that's just, this is obviously a case where they just put a lot of time and effort, did a lot of different research and try to figure it out. And just, you know, sometimes you just miss even the largest companies in the world. So I think that's something when this happens, I always like reflect on. It's like, you can have all the resources and money in the world. It doesn't really guarantee anything when you're launching
1: new products. But I mean, so I, I haven't dug in depth too much on, you know, whatever the security breach that they had was, but is it literally like everyone who ever touched Google Plus has been, you know, had all their stuff downloaded by who knows what, and they're just like, uh, we're turning it off?
2: No, it's actually, it's a, um, you know, it gets into the esoteric nature. Like this is, I believe to take up Google's official position. This is not technically a breach, right? Like a breach is someone who's like broken in and stolen. This was essentially, I guess there's another term for it. They they had like a, a a bug
1: that theoretically could have been exploited. I don't know if it was or not. Yeah, exactly.
2: In the API tools, there were, uh, there was evidently a bug, right? So to your point, right? There's like a bug in the API tools that it was a theoretical exploit that could have allowed people to then get personal data from the Google Plus accounts. But, you know, they don't know. And then there's something else about they don't keep the information, like you know, who like who's logging it, who's using it for like an extended period of time. So as I read it, it, was like it wasn't technically a breach. And this was important because it had some like GDPR implications, right? Because if it's a <laughs> breach, you know, this is you the world can't you live prove in that
1: we fucked you all. <laughs>
2: Right. There's a whole thing about it. Again, like it's pretty esoteric. So I, don't, I think anyone who's uh, should read some of the articles on my ability. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. So so that was and then there was even more speculation, right, that, um, you know, kind of venturing like way off topic into the political realm that uh, the Google CEO chose not to come to D.C. and testify. Like there was the uh, I guess famous, famous, you know, they just had the, the empty chair. It was I think it was Facebook, empty chair, Google. And um, who am I forgetting? the uh, um anyway. <laughs> yeah so they were uh <laughs> they were there and then there was speculation that like maybe well, a was the reason that they didn't testify was that they, they knew about this right and they didn't want like did the, it didn't want to be asked directly right like mm. are you, have you ever mm. had data le- and you know because they hadn't announced it yet so so i don't know it gets into this i mean again it's it's you know in this case like google is probably easy to like look at and say like you know how they do it, but this is the problem that you know. I bet you know. I think you spend a lot of time with these customers too, Matt, right? Like you know, banks. Anyone trying to do you know compliance, right? It's like, well, like what do you have to do? Like if like, is it a breach? Is it just a bug? How do you report on it? How's it going to affect your earnings? Um, so this is the whole idea, you know, just IT and security just getting more and more important to everyone. So, uh, but yeah. So th- nonetheless, though, that their solution, <laughs> you know, which most people won't do is like, hey, we're just shutting the whole thing down. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, and I think, yeah. I
0: think at least as the one article I skimmed said that they're keeping I don't know what the I guess I get to it every now and then on our intro webs. They're keeping like the enterprise version of it, like the private inner interweb version. Yeah. Or, which which I guess is, is something. So good good for that. Now Yeah, now, the enterprise version, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now do you, you know, I, I've been thinking about this kind of phenomena of Google just sort of like shutting things down recently. Or or even worse, like it's almost like a um If you're supposed to use, like, you know, fast failure feedback loops or something like that, like, it's almost like Google has this, like, fast feedback and let it die on the Vine cycle. Like, there seems to be a lot of products they have that are just sort of, like, there. (laughs) Like, Like, there's, like, Google Voice and Google Plus and, like, probably that notebook thing that they have. Like, they just... You know they follow they follow the lean startup uh sort of philosophy of just like launch a bunch of stuff and see what sticks, which is a mischaracterization of of lean startup stuff but um now all of that said, right like they do a great job and everything but i I'm always like and this doesn't happen as much amongst all the uh the thought lords and ladies, but there's always there, there's often this thing of like we wanna be like google and and learn how they do things. And I, I always have this thing in the back of my head that's like maybe the way they do product management is slightly flawed. If you're like a bank, like th- well, th- there's something weird about how they're able, like, I mean, how they're able to just like drop things uh, instead Goog- of worrying Google, about them.
1: Yeah, I mean Google's like when when people you know, point at other countries and they're like, you know what, we should all be more like Norway, and you're like, you know what. Norway, the reason they're top of the charts on like all the like quality of life stuff is you know they don't like to talk about it, but there's a money fountain they 've got oil yeah and yeah. you know and and google like they can mess up a lot of things, but they've got literally a money fountain of advertising that covers up all sorts of flaws right mm-hmm. and and so there's this effect that you know. Having having unlimited financing for your mis your 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 missteps covers up a lot of missteps, you no. Know? Uh, and and so I think I think Google definitely gets the benefit of the doubt because you know you don't you don't see them fail as spectacularly because you know they don't have the same financial pressures as as smaller companies.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and then do you think do you think there's any like uh do you do you ever do you all ever encounter any sort of like negative blowback in the Google Cloud area? I mean, they see oh, yeah. like like where they're like, "Well, if they're canceling Google Plus, they'll probably shut down on a TensorFlow sometime soon."
1: Uh uh you know, one of the things that you know, they have a very very solid engineering reputation, you know. Uh and 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 you know, when I looked through their their uh code and and you know, to dev stuff. It's, it's all very, you know, it's very good. Um, There is, I do come across enterprise customers who are like, well, you know, it's not their primary focus. Right. Yeah. And, and yet at the same time, ostensibly, it's not Amazon's primary focus, but you know, Amazon's a a gift shop in front of a a cloud company. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes i do i definitely have seen people bring up the fact that google seems to dabble
2: Mm. but i think a lot of it you know comes back to you know especially in politics to talk about you know the worst thing in politics is to for a political candidate is to have a stereotype and then to do something that confirms the stereotype right so you know like just two examples like dan Quayle was perceived as maybe not being smart and he misspelled potato right so that sort of like cements it and then you know um I think John Kerry was was uh, stereotyped as like out of touch, and then he gets caught windsurfing, right? And sort of like, and so why that matters is that like the, these things can become very powerful because I think a few weeks ago we talked about Google, right? It's like I actually think the Google Cloud very solid, but I think the stereotype yeah. of Google, to your point, right, is what you you and Kote were talking about is that. There can be this point where they just sort of get they don't they don't want to do it anymore. They just stop these products, right? They just take them down. So when you when Google Plus comes out and they take it down, that kind of confirms this outlying stereotype, right? That and then a few weeks ago there was this article about, you know, they sent some email to I think like a state, local government IT official like Like, we're shutting you down if you don't do this. And he couldn't talk to anybody. He's just like, I don't, don't do that. Like, I'll fix it. And they wouldn't talk to him, (laughs) right? And, uh, and so that, like, that just confirms this perception that they're just like a, like a, a data machine, right? They don't talk to anyone. And so, uh, whereas Amazon, I think has gone the other way, right? They have like field reps everywhere, right? Like you can easily get on the phone with Amazon reps and they're very, you know, easy to work with. And, um, I guess easy in the sense of like very enterprise sales, um, but I think sometimes, but then to confirm that stereotype would be their stereotype is often that, you know, it's not so much, they don't end the life anything. They just like spit out all the stuff. The AWS catalog gets longer and longer, and it's maybe not as high quality, right, mm. as Google, right? And again, like, is that actually true? No, that's just the stereotype. Yeah, so, and, and so that's what you're and, always fighting, right? Is these different
1: stereotypes? And Amazon, you know, not not AWS, but you know, .com has had plenty of products that you know they they knifed because they. Failed to live up to expectations. You know, I mean, they've got you know all sorts of phones and you know devices that you know we were making fun of it. You know, two weeks ago with the microwave, but you know some of those are going to hit, some of them are going to fail, and Amazon's just going to keep rolling on. And you know, we're they get the benefit of the out, whereas Google, you know, fairly unfairly gets painted with. Well, you know, they're dabblers. They're you know they're they're not really serious about this, but you know they they both are sitting on more money than who knows what yeah, so no,
2: totally and i think that's fair and i think amazon has that like customer centric like i think when they cancel it it's it's always portrayed as like well customers just didn't want it you know and they like <laughs> and they, they perceived as like being very reactive to that whereas google yeah. is sort of like it's like, like well like- we don't care if you didn't want it like it's like remember the google wave like email's done everyone's doing google wave and everyone's like i don't think so right you know they you know they have this kind of like ambition to be, like we're changing you and if you don't change then you don't get it and then and then i just right. want to be equal opportunity right it's like I'll just throw Oracle and IBM in the same category. It's like you know the perception is that like nobody they can't do public cloud. They don't get it. They're not involved in the you know. So there's like an old out that there's you know. So everybody always has like and and I can't think of Microsoft. Microsoft probably has a couple different things, right? They're like they hate open source, right? And they will never do anything with Linux. But of course now like Linux is the de facto they, operating uh, yeah
1: system I mean, they, for they Azure. So the, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And so you just have to always think like, you know, when these articles come out and they confirm something that, you know, a stereotype that people want to believe, that's when they're powerful. Like if it comes out and it's just like, you know, like if something came out, it's like, you know, maybe Google engineered something bad. It wouldn't have any effect on them because we'd all be like, ah, oh, well, I was just the, I was an outlier. Google has the best engineering, right? Mm. Well, we would probably just quickly seed that to
0: them. May, maybe, maybe the last point, And then we can correct all of my hand waving of last week. Uh, uh, you know, it, maybe there is like maybe there's a a, a a generative side to sort of like withering on the vine of like wave and Google Plus and stuff, and that is I don't I forget if this was covered in like the the SRE book, and I haven't read the sequel. I think it's called something like you know even more SRE. I forget, but uh, like there must be some some thinking or process they have at least in the SRE world of like so what do we do with this thing that's staffed by 0.5 people now <laughs> right like like i wonder i wonder what you do with, to put it another way like i wonder what their approach to managing like slowly dying legacy systems is like if there's some process you have to go through or how you like move people from it because knowing that would be very helpful for uh all sorts of people right like i have this uh i have this batch job system that like clears two million dollars of revenue every week in like a $50 billion company and no one wants to like eat that loss. So we have to keep running it, but basically it has to exist on its own. Like, how do you, how do you manage that kind of thing? And I have to imagine there's some weird little Google services that are just sort of like on their own somewhere, but they still have to run it on, you know, keep up with it or something.
1: I mean, we you know we we previously worked at a company that had a product that was only making like fifty million a year, and they decided to you know end the life it without telling their customers. Yeah. Um. You know, and and so those sorts of that that calculus happens. Um. I I guess Google Google just seems to be a little more upfront about it, right? Yeah. They're like, well, you know what, uh, you, you people just weren't ready for how cool we are, and we're gonna put you know shut this thing off. Yeah, and and you can't have it anymore. And then you know, of course, you got your Google Reader people who are like you know, forever bitter. I I
2: was gonna say though we should be careful because we're only seeing from the outside. Like my guess is in this case that there is no special sauce like Google Reader, Google Wave, Google Plus. I bet you they went um, they got punted around organ- organizationally like people like different groups had to like maintain it. And there's a lot of conversations like let's kill it. Let's not. Right. And it's the hardest thing for any company to do is to like embrace something. Be like this is we just need to kill this off. And I think Google Plus is a good example. Right. Like you know, and I think many people made this point in the press, right? So, like, of course, like, that probably should have been gone years ago, right? And then probably just hanging out, because this is very hard to admit, like, failure on that scale and be like, we just got to get out of it. And then, so they needed some event, right? You know, this was, like, back to, like, buying software, right, or buying Chef or, like, install. I mean, we all know this. Like, this is the time to, to, to sell something to Google, right? This is the time for, like, Black Duck to go to Google and be like, hey, you know, you should be scanning for these vulnerabilities, right? Because this is – this generates – Um, the need to do something so Mm. you know in this case you know they did the right thing but i don't you know human nature is very hard to change i don't think i'd be surprised if google has that figured out any better than anyone else
0: you you know that that reminds me of a a conversation i was having last week with with a a room full of people we're having one of those uh round tables at a square table type of things and uh and and there was a lot of discussion about um about uh you know, quote unquote politics, which I think I think this conversation made me realize like uh, like two things. One is that when in a corporate context, right, when people use the word politics, they mean I can't get that other person to do what I want, like for whatever reason, like that's all politics means, because it always it has this feel of like there's some sort of immovable force like gravity that's preventing me from doing something. And it's very frustrating. But really, I think it just means like I can't convince Yorkers people to do what I want. Rant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's the old thing. <laughs> it's kind of like one of the uh, one of the uh, the top three worldview things of like people make policy, so people can change the policy. What do you want? Right. Like if you're not changing the policy, you're actively deciding that you agree with that policy. You're not just sort of like being like, oh, I don't know what to do. Uh, And I think I think politics is is an equally like weird thing like that. Anyways, uh, second, like the other reason people complain about the lack of being able to change things is that like no one cares. And, you know, I think there's a few exceptions, namely in startup world. But I'm starting to think that, like, if no one cares to like digitally transform the company, then you shouldn't worry about it. Like, there's <laughs> there's no like, because you're gonna just be there like a raving lunatic on your own. And if if people like you treat you keep trying to improve things and uh, no one does anything about it, like, it's it's really like I don't know. It, it's like it's like the principle of if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And establishing that something is broke seems really easy, but. I don't know. I always get the feeling that like people are like trying to uh, convince people that things are broken when they're not actually broken. So there's uh, there's some food for. But thought. there's a
2: good. I, th- I think there's a good thread to pull on there, and I think it comes back to like digital transformation being a good example because I, I throw in incentives, right? Like it's sort of like misaligned incentives, right? It's sort of usually why you can't get people to do what you want, right? And then if you say digital transformation, so that's a good example of one we should like like pull through and say at the very top of a company, right? in this case into like power and, you know, who has the power, like there may be an, a set of executives that have no interest necessarily in digital transformation. You know, maybe it's not something they spend a lot of time thinking about. They're making money and running their business some other way. But usually what is happening, right. Is that group of people is then demanding, uh, or, or really assigning, right. Giving out priorities, to be like we need to make more money next year doing something right. And, uh, or cut costs. And so the middle manager that catches that project looks around and he says, well, we can just keep doing what we're going to do, but I know that won't get us there, right? Like that won't get me to the objectives that – I've just been uh, asked to to reach. And so that's maybe when he starts to investigate, well, what are some other ways to do it? Is there a way we do something faster, cheaper? We get better softwares? Is there something we could put out for our customers that would give them? So that's sort of what sparks, if you will. They're not thinking, like, I want digital transformation, right? They're thinking, mm. I need to, like, find a way to do something either better something new faster or something cheaper. And that's gonna lead them down the, the digital transformation path, right? They're gonna like, oh, go to a couple conferences, do some reading, they're like, oh, you know, this this thing, instead of having like 25 uh, reps uh, on the phone, right, we could probably just do it online. So he's gonna start to be thinking that. And then now, so he brings some of this back, right? This digital transformation messaging back and people are like, no, like it's fine. They're, the 25 reps like their jobs, the mm-hmm. executives, just are just saying like, Hey, like get it done. Right. They're not really, they don't, you know, is, again, it's the quote, quote unquote, like, you know, why do we have you right? You know, if you've ever been in a meeting where you walked into that, you know, that door where someone's like, well, why did I hire you? Right. And you're like, Oh, okay, this is going well. Um, you know, so, but he's bringing back that digital transformation message and maybe he's starting to hear that. Like, you know, he's like proposing it because he knows to keep his job. I mean, his incentives, right. That he needs to do it. But then everyone around him is like, kind of like, while they are incentivized to meet these other goals, they don't really care about the tactics, right? And this is where the friction starts, right? This is where like, well, this guy's a, you know, he's running a pirate ship, he's doing all this stuff outside the system. And what he's doing is very simple. Like he's just aligned with incentives. He knows he has to do something new, or he has to, or he could just leave the job, or he could just kind of like you know what often people do is like you know if you will run out the clock well maybe if I don't make the goals it won't be a big deal right or like maybe the goals will just change and so that's where I think you know to your point about you see organizations where like people are like slamming their head against the digital transformation um, door right is that it usually starts because there was a need to change and this person sees it before anybody else right and that's why they're trying to they're trying to help but sometimes, like, no one wants that help, and that's that's a difficult situation for anyone.
0: Yeah, and and I guess I guess to nuance out the the musing I was doing earlier, like it it, it makes me think tactically, and I'm I'm overstating it to simplify it to try to make the point of it. Like, in, unless someone is asking you to change, you probably shouldn't. In in and and, and, and the, so that's overstating it. But like, there's something there's something important you said at the beginning there, Brandon, which was like you are passed down a set of priorities and uh, priorities and things you need to do. And you, you want to accomplish them with these methods. Right. And so, which is to say, if you're not given priorities or like, you know, KPIs you need to achieve by changing, then maybe you shouldn't do it now. Now on, on the other hand, there is, I think, I think even proving this point, there's a seemingly special, but actually just variation of this, which is, uh, you are asked by senior leadership to go off and run a pirate ship. So they're asking you to be a, I guess in that case, you call it a privateer. So you're trying, you, you are tasked with being a, uh, was that Admiral Nelson or the other guy? I always forget which one was the famous privateer, but you're asked to go be a privateer in the, an official ask capacity of the organization, not be sort of like a rogue pirate. And in that case, like, again, you're being asked to change and do something, but, in very rare uh, cases like it's not like the hudsucker proxy where you draw like a circle on a piece of paper and suddenly like you're the ceo of the company right like no one gives a fuck uh in general in, unless they're asking for it so anyhow like i you know that was just because i get i get sort of asked this a lot like i get stuck in these pseudo therapy sessions where someone's just saying like and i used to be this person like i've got all these great ideas and i tell people we should do them and then I just end up staying up till 2 a.m. working on a macro and a spreadsheet. And it's just like, I don't, I don't know, you should just not try. I would hate to be Bukowski's headstone, but like, unless someone's asking you to change around, it's like a lot of effort you're going to blow on trying to convince people. And then, and then related to that, there's, there's a, well, I linked it in the show notes, but there's actually, it's, a, let's call it a, a 85% good write up of, um, you know, actually blockbuster was and kodak weren't as stupid as we might think they were they now that i think of it mysteriously circuit city was not mentioned but uh, it is a good write-up of like if you look at the corporate history of these two companies maybe not let me focus on blockbuster kodak's a little different but you look at the uh the the leadership the corporate level level of blockbuster and they were like trying to change things and move things around but kind of to a little bit of what brandon was saying like no one cared, or they weren't incented correctly, or something,
2: right? Right, to care, and that's yeah, a yeah. big thing, which was
0: the issue there. And then, and then the Kodak write up is also interesting, uh, in the sense of it's a good example of like, uh, well, we don't want to self cannibalize, like, we make a ton of money on this other thing, and you're asking us to basically ruin that business, which I think also I think I've kind of stalled out in reading the, the Wardley map book thing and medium uh but if if you read his history and i think it's weird that he never says this but the com- the company he's always referencing was owned by Canon and Canon had bought uh was it it was an o photo but it was some photo sharing site in the mid 2000s and it's like you know you can read kind of a first hand account of like um it's one thing to say the company couldn't self disrupt itself because it wasn't like they didn't have enough dogs under their desks or some bullshit like that but, like, in reality, it's just, like, it didn't really make strategic sense for Canon. And then, you know, to kind of, like, do the the halo effect thing. Like, it would have been very difficult at that time when you were putting together the corporate strategy to figure out the the risk of doing the same thing versus what seemed like the minute possibility of things changing dramatically. I don't know. And- maybe, maybe with photo stuff it's hard to say, but, like, its it'd be similar to, like, S3 came out in 2006. So let's say in 2008, you have AWS S3 and EC2. And even then, it's kind of hard to figure out, like, is JPMC really going to replace all this power, this IBM power spend with the bookseller? Like, how am I going to weight that in my Monte Carlo simulations right. if I even do Monte Carlo things, right? Like, that seems ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Yeah and 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 if you look at the competitive landscape it you know the Kodak it wasn't that there was one competitor there were dozens and dozens of them and you know what a lot of those competitors they went under you know they didn't succeed it's just you know the the weight of that new competition and and that sea change you know they couldn't have picked one of them to compete with you know because they would have inevitably made the wrong bet Mm, yeah.
2: But I do think, you know, to flip it around a little bit on the because I think to your, your point about the, the person you're doing the therapy session, it's like the ultimate question for that person is always simply, you know, at some point they need to decide, like, is this a fight worth fighting? Is this like the place they want to go do it? Because the, the obvious solution is like, hey, this just may not be a good fit. You need to go on and do something else. But the, the other thing that I see a lot that people don't think is like, I think I, I've been really on this mantra of like, you know, digital transformation is happening all the time. We just like, we don't have a vocabulary to talk about it or like we mm-hmm. don't acknowledge it when it does. And I'll just give you like, so here's like a good example that I, it's very small, but I, you know, I was at Costco the other day, right? And you know, Costco gave out these new credit cards. I got one a while back. It's a Visa thing. It has NFC in it, right? I don't, I don't know. Didn't really think anything about it. Never really used NFC stuff. So I'm going through the checkout line and, you know, as as you're always to do, like you leave your big items in the in the, the b- basket and you mm-hmm. give them like in this case, the credit card is my membership card, right? So the guy's like, he's like, I give my membership card. And then he asked me as he's kind of like checking. In, he's like, Hey, he's like, sorry, are you going to use this credit card today? I said, I am. So he takes the card and he puts the card, he he puts it literally on the point of sale terminal, like right on the screen. And, uh, before I even know what's happened, the card is already authorized, right? Mm. It's already uh, authorized and paid the transaction. Right. And, um, I didn't necessarily, know that I could do that. I mean, I guess I knew it, but I didn't really think about it. Like I would have probably instinctively put it in the, you know, here in the U S where right, we had the chip reader cards and take probably, I don't know, like a few seconds for four or five seconds, right. To try process. And then you have to sign and, and the whole thing. And, and so clearly like these Costco cashiers, either they've been told or they figured it out because I've watched them, right. They'll do this all day long. They're putting the cards on the point. So it's like, so what does that matter? On one face of it, you say like, it doesn't matter at all. But the other thing is like, no, I mean, this is cutting probably 30 seconds off you know uh you know the completing the transaction and getting the next person through and i'm sure that has like you know how quickly the cashier's process something i'm sure that's yeah. somehow correlated to increase sales right because you like you know you get there and you only have one item and you're like oh the line's too long right well it's it's lines and i and i I think to myself like you see these things all the time so like i don't know i have no idea like if the guy that like upgraded the point of sales terminal had this in his his uh, spreadsheet was like yeah and we'll have nfc and we'll train the cashiers to put the thing on there or the cashiers just figured it out they're like they're incented i bet to like you know how many scans per minute or whatever right i'm sure yeah. they're somehow tracked and it's like so i always think like there's lots of stuff like this or like you know i've noticed a lot lately too like sign-in sheets now are often automated on an ipad right where it's just like oh sign in click and you're done right and it's like doesn't have to have a person sitting there you oh yeah know, like, like, like at the uh, the bouncy house place yeah like all that or like yeah that was a better one the um you know the bouncy house place always has the waiver, right? Well, now all the waivers, you just go to an iPad, you do know, you just click through, and you don't read anything, and you sign it, and you send your kid off to to probably die in some like some ball pit. But like it's fast, right? It works really well, and it's just like <laughs> At least it's fast. Uh, yeah, it's super fast. And then like when you go in next time, you know they did they have it on file, and it's like you know these are just small things, but then you know they add up, though, right? I think that's yeah. the the cumulative effect of all these small I- improvements, you know, uh, in the airline, you know, airports, we could go on and on, right. The time to go through an airport, like in 1985, right you had to do all the lines to like now where like, it's like, why do I have to talk to anyone? Right. Um, but they do add up and th- those are the returns that you get. I just don't think people think about it that way. Right. It just sort of happens in the, in the background.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good, uh, it's a, it's a good uh, example of the plateau of productivity where like, where like it's, uh, every your everyday boring life or seemingly boring life is improved by these smaller effects of some great technology, but because it happens every day so often it's often a lot more momentous than like the gigantic you know hype curve or whatever and and yeah i mean i i i have to i mean i I feel like in every highly successful retail environment, there is someone who's calculating that saves thirty seconds and therefore you'll get more people purchasing things like i mean i think the margins in retail are so small that like you got to game out all that stuff. And then if you've got big enough top line revenue, you can hire those people who figure that stuff out. But
1: well, yeah,
0: you know, like over here in Europe to be guy living in Europe, I was telling a joke at a conference recently at spring one platform. The, the joke is like, it's my favorite pattern for jokes. It's like, how, how do you know if someone's an expat? You know, cause they tell you obviously just like vegans. But anyways, they, they. It took me a while to get used to this, but they have that like tap your card thing. And uh, yeah. the, way, the way my bank does it, uh, ABM, whatnot, is if it's under 25 euros, you can just tap your card and it's great. And it is like, it takes a little, with all these things, like it takes, you have to learn the, um, what do you call it? The motions that you go through, like how long to hold it, where to put it and all of that. But yeah, then there's no like paper and it happens really quick. And then Uh, and now the only in the US, the downside would be it would completely over the next five years, probably completely eliminate tipping because there's never it's there's very rarely because because over here in Europe, there's basically a culture of not tipping Um, like it doesn't matter. Like you just tap your card and you don't have to tell people to add tip and you're out. Uh, So there is that downside. But we're going to get like a universal basic income. So it'll be fine. Right. Right.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I mean Australia is essentially the same way. Uh, minimum wage, though, you know, nineteen bucks an hour, so mm. uh, you don't you don't worry about it. And and the uh, the pay pass, the, you know, the tapping has been here since since you know I don't know five six seven years as far as as I know. And uh, yeah, anything under a hundred bucks, you don't even have to hit your pen. Yeah, yeah, so I I would, I would you know, like to
0: be able to add like a tip to it though. Like that might be a nice thing like on Apple Pay, if you could sort of like modify the payment amount, I don't know.
2: I mean, that complicates Well, I don't, you know, maybe it's just a cultural thing because in the US, like there's like the square terminals are like, I don't know, the square seems to be doing really well, it's smaller, Mm. the smaller uh, mom and pops, like I see these all the time, and now they have uh, like the new point of sale terminal, so now I'm sort of interested, like it also lets you do uh, NFC, so you just kind of like tap it, right? But what it does is, uh, you know, it kind of asks you for like the no receipt, but what it uh, it will do, like as part of that workflow, um, as part of the workflow, let me say to ask you for the receipt, they'll actually put up there, yeah. like, do you want a tip? And then they'll have the preset values. I think it's like 18, it's yeah. like 15, 18, 20. And, and then if you want to, right, you can just, again, like you don't even have to do the math. You just press the button and you and you just hit next. Yeah. So that may be, um, that is again, really nice, your, like Uber does to that your too. Point, yeah, to your point about like, because the U.S., like, you know, we're built on, you know, service or tipping is like you know expected in most places for service-based things like that is probably what's forcing that workflow whereas i, I, I would assume where you guys are if it's not really expected then you know it's like it's not going to be in the workflow right nobody no, no, nobody thinks it should be good so that, so that's kind of interesting like it's more cultural to me than yeah. it is
1: technology-based mm. well, well only I, tourist places <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like like here,
0: here's a pro tip if you don't know if it asks if you want to pay in u.s say no like always paying yeah. the local currency. That's just, it's almost like whenever I see that in a shop, it like immediately makes me not want to go back there because it's like thanks for trying to hustle me, asshole. But like anyhow, because right. you know you get a you get a conversion fee and sometimes even a fee. That's why you don't want to do it. Pay in euros. Should be Yeah, a or, shitty, rate. yeah, yeah. A shitty rate. Yeah, that's what yeah. I meant by a conversion. So uh, I think we've saved plenty of room for the uh, the best part at the end. So for one thing, uh, <laughs> I you know elastic. IPO'd uh, last week, if I remember. Ready to go, guys. And uh, they they went. They had a ninety four point four. You gotta pay attention to that point four. Nine. Let's let's round down to well, it was ninety four point four percent increase in their uh, their opening price. And uh, I think as of yesterday, I didn't check today, about close of market. So it was at seventy dollars uh when when it closed and now it uh or at its peak and now it's at like sixty two fifty. So that's really nice. And the uh the the local Dutch people are very excited because I think Elastic is like of Dutch origin or something. So they they were they were proud of uh their, their fellow Dutch people.
1: Good good on them. Yeah.
0: And uh yeah, so so now 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 I hear about Elastic a tremendous amount. In fact I mean, in this, the way that I use every, which means uh, 30 to 90% of any sample set, like pretty much every, every one company I talk to, like they're using Elastic or converting over to it, which, which I guess is good. But I just yep. wanted to clarify, and I know, I know, both. you know, at least one of you will probably know this. So, so is Elastic like specialized on, is it like specialized like Splunk is, but doesn't want to be in like IT stuff? Or is it just like search whatever you want?
1: Uh, I believe they're pretty generic, yeah. um, but you know, but it is definitely going to be a lot of, of what they do. I mean, a lot of their, you know, Elasticsearch is the product that you know they're they're based on primarily. But they have they've got some logging stuff. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, they look at that Splunk money and they're like, we want some of that. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's I, a you know, that's
0: they, a great comp to have if you're the uh, the investment bankers. That that just oh, ends yeah, up yeah. perfect.
1: And, 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 you know, you're sitting on, on all this uh, consuming data and log data, uh-huh. and you're probably going to want some monitoring. So, you know, they're, they're dabbling in the monitoring. You're getting some, some graphing and some UI. So they, they've got the full uh, ops package now, yeah. you know, going there. Now,
0: yeah. I, I don't know if our listeners know, but the amount of data or data in the world is just increasing. And it's going to be incredibly important for organizations to gain more insights into their data as they run you know their what? business.
1: I, I double an opening day stock price just on that sentence. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, you know, and, and also, I mean, not to uh, not to open a log of worms, so to speak, but it's just like I, I was I was at the uh, puppetizer Amazon event, which was delightful, extremely well put on event. I was telling our uh, our VP of EMEA, EMEA Marketing, like, wow, this is this is a good event, and she was like, you should take some notes. But it was a very well done event here in Amsterdam, very nice, and uh, but man. We are never gonna fucking solve searching logs as a problem in our industry. It's just like it's just like that is. It's gonna be, it's gonna be similar to like keeping your toilet bowl clean. It's just like we're gonna keep throwing stuff at that for all of eternity, and we'll be like out in space, like with robots and stuff, and the toilet's still gonna be dirty. It's there's never oh, gonna be no. a way to clean it.
1: It's a- just. A- insane. AI is gonna solve toilets and 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 logs yeah yeah you have to pick up and and maybe there's an intersection there we don't want to talk about
0: hey but it is it is just like like people are going over and and it's not only at the puppet conference i see this at other places like the uh the operations people go over like the stack that they have to basically um you know to be biased pivotal person the platform uh that they build on their own and all the toil that they have to put up and managing it it's just and and I think pretty much every time Elastic is involved, to Elastic's credit, that in no way like reflects poorly on Elastic, but it's just like, Jesus Christ, these people have to build another gigantic platform for their platform just over and over again. And they can never, uh, like there was a presentation from a CERN person. And I think, I I couldn't really tell because it seems crazy, but I think the talk was about how to monitor and manage Puppet for monitoring and manage your servers which at CERN scale sort of makes sense because CERN was like forty forty five thousand 45,000 nodes or something. But man, this systems management thing, it just never ends. It's always always a hassle.
2: Well, it does it does seem like there's like really like two types of systems management products, like the products that promise to get rid of log files and then the prom, the, the the products that promise to make it easier to look in log files. Like mm. there's just like they're just it's always the two tracks, right? It's always like a new systems management product is like, yeah, instead of searching for the logs, we're gonna surface this data in some easy to understand way and it'll let you find it. But of course that then generates more logs and there's always a guy in the corner who's like, Yeah, but when that doesn't work. What are we going to do? And it's like, well, we should use this other tool to like search the log file. Right. And, and yeah, it's because it does. I mean, it just gets back to and maybe you can go all the way, walk back all the way to the developer. There is this point when you're building an app of any kind where you're just like, well, this thing happened. I have no idea how to make it obvious. Yeah. But at least I'm going to put it in the log. Right. Because there's just like you're right there and you're like it's almost like the, the the try catch block, the catch. Like you've caught something like you knew it could throw this you've caught it and you have no idea what to do. Yeah. Like you just like, and it's like, well, all you can do at that point is print it out. And I, I don't know if that, that ever ultimately changes in computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was,
0: I was having the same thought that like, like developers are the ones who create like log management debt. They're just like, I don't know what to fucking do. They, they, like, Logged in development ops problem now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like they just like it. Yeah. I used to do that. Cause you know, you can't just leave a catch block empty. You've always just got to log that. So uh, and then you can go just on toss, with your
1: life. Toss it over
0: there, someone uh, else's problem.
1: Man,
2: but you also you often hear like, you? people will um I've, I've seen a bunch of people like demoing different APIs or explain something and they'll say something like like you know hey you unfortunately you have to do the try catch here like uh, you got to catch this and they'll even say like I don't know what you would do like it's like it's uh you know like fatal network error right or uh you know like add a like like add a disk speed, you know it's just there's like there's certain errors built in where it's like there really is, like, the developer at that point, there's almost nothing they can do, right? So it's like, it just kind of gets back to, I guess, the operating, so I guess we go one more level. Like, the operating system developers is just like, well, listen, I just want to, like, let them know that their system's about to, like, uh, you know, go blue screen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's really all it is. It's just no. like, yeah, there's nothing we can do at this point. It's over, right? So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, to round that up, it's, I think I've mentioned this before,
0: but my my current favorite error with, uh, with Ziggo, my internet provider, which, Aside from this, is a fantastic internet provider. I mean, it's like, it's like the best telco experience I've ever had. Now, a lot of the channels we get are in Dutch, but we sort of knew that going in, that that's, that's what we're getting. But they uh, every now and then, and very rarely actually, it's only happened like three times. There's something wrong with the network, and you go to their router uh, little web page, and it'll, it say, I should find this screenshot. It says, an error has occurred. Click here to fix it. And I always think like, why don't you click your fucking self? right? Like if you know an error has occurred, click it, right? Like it's just so bizarre. It's
1: like the the emails I get from my uh, uh, Australian uh, national broadband network. They're like, we're really sorry about the outage from last Saturday. I was like, I didn't know there was an outage. (laughs) That's,
0: that's like, that's like when my, uh, my grandmother used to, uh, used to fart and she would say, excuse me. And my grandfather would say, if you hadn't have said anything, I wouldn't have known. So that's, that's good, good life lessons.
1: (laughs) thanks grandma
0: <laughs> well so so finally, before we get to our recommendations i uh, I, I felt responsible for being all hand wavy and I went and did some research on Cloudera and Hortonworks. and i have i have i wouldn 't say prepared remarks, but I have some analysis to Ape from uh, our friends at Forrester and four five one and then also uh, I think the the best the best um, is he the best A very unique and and maybe the best uh, analytical tech journalist out there. Timothy Prickett Morgan, you know he writes he writes at several places, notably the uh, I think it's called like Next Platform. But if you don't read his stuff, you should definitely read it. You can just like if you're like me, you can skip all the chip world analysis. But man, if you like chips, he'll just like kill you with that stuff in a good way. But so he, he had a good summary, uh, if you want to read the full thing, kind of summing up what their combined revenues will be and uh, and kind of looking at, like, what they need to achieve to be a successful company. And, like, let me see. He also – so he added up – let's see. Uh, see, you think I would have – so they, they have a pile of cash, he says, between them. It's like $3.6 billion. They've raised that amount cash if you combine the two together. And then their revenue is kind of impressive. But one thing that, you know, he pays attention to, which, you know, I should be careful in the glass house that I'm in, so to speak, but uh, they have cumulative losses of $979 million over their entire uh, span. Uh, Well, actually, if if you combine them together, it's like $2.16 billion. Now, I don't think over their entire lifespan, the whole point of that is uh, like, you know, kicking them. While they're down or anything because one I don't think they're down, but it is kind of like I think his view is an interesting way of looking at like what is it taken to get to get to this point like what it what does it actually take in like v c money and spending and the money you generate from i p o s and like you know what uh what's the cost of that, which is always uh high uh you know necessarily so I guess, but then So if you go to uh, more stuff like they, of course, as you as you do when you're trying to combine together and do some like investment banking stuff, like one of the primary figures you come up with is your uh, total addressable market or your TAM, which is basically in the market you're operating in what's going to be the total annual spend in that market, because at best, sort of like the rule of thumb is that a top three company can expect to get 15 to 25% market share. Now there's some exceptions. Well, maybe I don't actually know what what it is, but I think if you look at, probably if you look at Google and Facebook and you do total, total like global advertising spend, they probably are a little over that, but they're probably still in that same area as far as percentage that they get. So anyways, you calculate the TAM and then that allows you to work backwards, like how much money you can expect these companies when they kind of reach their peak to be bringing in revenue every year annually. And then you can start to work back the math of like how much profit they'll have and do your wacky investor spreadsheets. So I think, I think the, uh, their estimate that they gave about the, the market is I think by 2022, they say it's the market they operate in is going to be a $32.3 billion market. So they, they got, they got that chasing around for them. And then there there's some analysis between four five one Forrester and uh, and TPM there about the product lines that they're in and and tell me tell me, y'all tell me if I've summarized this wrong but it sounds like HortonWorks is basically focused on just like straight up Hadoop distribution but then also very focused on like dealing with. Uh, I don't think anyone says real-time data anymore, but dealing with like real-time data and streams of data and therefore edge computing and IoT stuff and figuring out how to handle all of that. Whereas Cloudera has been more focused on like the analytic side of all that. So like you gather together all your giant data, those insights we were talking about earlier. and, uh, And then it allows you to get to the insights and sort of analyze that. So like the thing that you would have just underneath Tableau and Click, I guess, which does make it an interesting thought experiment to think about. I think, I think Click is owned by a PE firm. I think Tableau is still public, but like that would be a fun thing to throw together. It'd probably be like you know a two two one-legged men in a potato sack race situation, but still, like you would have like a, a full stack of things, which in the uh, business intelligence era of the early 2000s was a was a powerful combo to have that big stack.
1: Synergy.
0: Yeah. Synergy <laughs> Sometimes Synergy is not bad, boys and girls. Yes. Synergy there can be awesome. But I you know, my impression and then and then there's your futuristic stuff. I think I think Forrester calls it uh in one of their more hilarious coinages, or maybe it's not even theirs, but Hark, which is the combination of Hadoop and Spark. And people tell me that Spark is awesome, but I don't really know what it is. Uh, but they have this category made up. But it seems like, uh, I don't know, overall the combination is uh, less shenanigan and more a log- logical combining of, of a feature set that you would have, good synergies, that basically shifts them into that plateau of prod- productivity in a few more years of just like, yeah, you just use this shit to get insights over your data. Sounds great. And uh, I don't know, that's, that's, that's my summary of the, uh, the research that I've done.
2: It's good research. I, you know, I, I, I do think that as you go through and you see all these contortions, of all these different analysts trying to explain it, that's always like a sign to me. I don't know that maybe <laughs> maybe this, like there's a simpler narrative here. I guess it's just, yes, there's people want to store more data. The open question is like, do people want to store it in Hadoop? And then is there a compelling yeah. reason to not just use the open source version to buy one of these other two things? Yeah, I mean, like, no, totally. That to me is, that's it that you have to answer those questions and if any of those are no then ultimately this this experiment or this you know is just not going to be hugely uh profitable or if like you know yeah hadoop is you know the only way to do it and lots of people want to buy it and want support and these various features that are um then it will work out but as we've seen with these kind of open source things before this is a tight rope that is very very difficult to walk at a valuation this rich
0: yeah and i think that's what i was kind of trying to allude to at the end you know i was paid one of the one of the better compliments i've gotten i was having uh Speaking of porridge, I I, I had a steel-cut oats with tahini in it, just to blow your mind. There's this place called uh, Caravan in in London. Good place. Anyways, I was eating with Robert Brooke, who you might remember from cashedout.coffee, a podcast I should do. And he was saying, uh, I'm always very, like, pragmatic. I'm trying to find pragmatic advice, which sounds good. And so, yeah, just like you're saying, being pragmatic, I think, I don't know, to speculate some more, like there was an interesting comment in one of the analysts things about uh, well, just as you were saying, Brandon, what you need to do in the open source world is differentiate from why you would choose other options. And that my sense is that the, the deal, the culture with Cloudera is they're They're just like open core. So they would have a reason to buy them versus Horton which is not open core, which is like pure open source. So, what results from that is like if you want to have like a differentiated why you would give someone money, Cloudera has the easier go. So combining these two companies together, there almost gives like HortonWorks this cover, kind of like with Google Plus to kind of be like eh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea, and right. they can kind of just like fold their pure open source thing into an open core model and eventually just into a I don't know uses open source model like you still just like we do and everyone does, right? Like you still pay for a lot of open source development, but what you're really selling is is a closed source product that uses open source, which is fine. People seem to like that. So that like is is the one sort of simple strate- internally product, strat- product strategy thing is like now we can worry about like not being open source in a bad way completely. And then, yeah, I mean, I think as you're saying, and as I was trying to kind of allude to, it's just like, I think the buyers are just like, I don't know. I need a fucking data warehouse. I don't care if it's from Teradata or it's HANA or it's an IBM thing or it's this thing. Like, what's the most cost effective and what works well? And, like, if you give that to me, don't care. And then, of course, in, in, the, in the sales meeting, in the meetings, you know, the, the equivalent of the Amdahl mug would be to bring out, like, your, like, AWS Redshift mug. That those uh, AWS <laughs> people Brandon mentioned earlier nicely dropped off with you and be like, Data Gravity, I don't know. I got a flying fucking car here, man. I don't need to worry <laughs> about that. But you can drive down your prices. But yeah, seems nice. Now, I quoted a lot of this stuff in the show notes over at uh, software defined talk slash 150 if you want to read all the uh, contortions and oscillations, essentially. So we have uh, Matt and I have a lot of travel coming up we have one entry that just says december so i don't know what's going on then but uh... i'll next week i'll be at devops days paris Um i think i'm giving a three-minute demo talk and they've been sending me a lot of instructions in french which i've been translating and uh... i think i'm supposed to have slides or something so i should figure that out but uh... i'll be there at the table uh... there's someone who speaks french there so you know that's good for the locals and, uh, and then also, uh, there's another thing I'm doing next week, at, uh, the, the, the J driven, like little manager summit it's down by Utrecht, if you're interested in that. And then the only other thing I'll highlight, the only other two things is, uh, at the end of October on the 22nd, there's a free, like some of us, uh, pivotal people are getting together in Milan for like a half uh, that, you know, it's, it's a half day plus lunch thing about, you know, digital transformation and cloud native programming. And then finally back in Amsterdam on Halloween, I'll be speaking at the uh, the New Relic Future Stack conference here. And then in Asia, there's a big spring tour thing. But you can go see all the other travel in the show notes. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Do you have anything?
1: Uh, I am doing a lot of travel, but uh, not for conferences. Mm. So uh, tomorrow morning, I'm uh, doing DevOps Day Singapore. But uh, yeah, by the time this is released... Uh, that talk will be over. You just, you're just doing some
0: uh, <laughs> some some private breakfast buffet trips. Not, nothing you know public.
1: It. You yeah. know it. Little a little bit of New Zealand, a little bit of Japan. Uh I'll be back in Singapore. Mm. That's a, that's my life. So so Brandon, give us give us a quick sticker update. How's the sticker ecosystem?
2: Doing well as always. If you uh want a sticker, just email me your postal address at stickers at dot com. This week Jeremy emailed us he is a professor at a university in chicago and he is teaching cloud native and DevOps technologies to undergrads which in itself i was like wow that's crazy uh but he told us that the podcast has been a great benefit to the students and he asked if he could get a bunch of stickers for them so absolutely i sent him a bunch of stickers he, he as i've noticed he said his students are kind of split between like half think Half are into laptop stickers, and other people just like they have nothing on their laptop. So mm. I understand that. So, uh, so I, I was amazed because I told him I was like, "Wow, this seems extremely pragmatic." Like I don't remember learning anything this pragmatic <laughs> when I was in college. It was just all like, "Hey, let's uh, reverse a binary tree and stuff like yeah. that." It was like it's like that. Uh, that, I, that I that I just look on uh, Stack Overflow. If I have to do that, I just you know copy and paste my work. But yes, yeah, so I really appreciate Jeremy. Uh, emailing and hopefully all his students are enjoying the podcast. So good luck to them in their careers as they graduate. I'm sure soon. Mm.
0: Yeah, you know, if 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 we've clearly proven we we've, we've done a, a lean startup thing where we've proven that being in the t-shirt business is not sy- synergistically wise. But if we were printing ones, I think uh, I think we would have a special edition called uh, "How to Reverse a Binary Tree." That be <laughs> nice. Just like I don't mind me. I'm just reversing a binary tree. You know, like That's ask, right. ask me about my Q sort.
1: Let me put things on your heap so you can sort them. Whoa. Hey, whoa. Sort my heap. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Is that, uh, anyways? Uh, so, Brandon, what do you have to recommend for us this week?
2: Yeah, I have a um, a Netflix recommendation, and I I just say this is a very dark show, and and it's a kind of a drama, family drama. So I, I would only recommend this if you're in like a really secure marriage or relationship, and you feel just real good with where you are. Then you should uh, watch Doctor Foster on Netflix because it's a it's a bit dark. Look at a, a family crisis that I found kind of captivating, but I like it because uh, it doesn't necessarily you know not necessarily uplifting but i feel like the the tension and reality they bring to it was was very interesting and there's a couple i think it's very short seasons it's like five episodes per season so it's not something you know you can kind of like get in and out of it pretty mm. quick you're not committing to like and then you know you're just uh, one transatlantic fight i think you can get it all done so uh, enjoy dr foster on netflix mm. how about yourself matt ray
1: uh well i, I had uh, a recent uh long flight uh, i watched uh, a documentary I, i'm not sure when it came out but uh, there was a band oh jeez, um back in the 90s i guess um called slint and uh, they started when they were all in uh i want to say high school but they were probably in 14 you know years old or so uh they recorded with steve albini if you're familiar with uh you know big uh big black or shellac and some of those bands um and they put out an album and promptly broke up uh called Spiderland uh which is considered like one of the best albums of the nineties uh, by you know the the uh would, would you call them the the dogs under the the desk people you know uh-huh. the the hipster pitchfork readers um Spiderland's an amazing album uh and uh it's kind of a behind the scenes documentary of this band it's it's really good um uh, and uh, I, you know, I don't, you know, I found it on YouTube. So I put the little YouTube link. So if you like slint, if you like uh, '90s college rock, um, it's it's good stuff.
0: Basically, if you are uh, just about to turn 40 or have already turned 40, you might like this documentary. Is what I'm. You're hearing. welcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, I have I have a main recommendation, and then of course uh, a small follow up one. So uh, speaking of Robert Brook, he never tries to tell me to do anything, but uh, the frequency of him mentioning it was uh, good encouragement. I've been checking out this micro.blog thing for a while, and uh, it always seemed a little short of what I wanted to do with the blog, but I uh, just decided I would use it one day, as I so often do. Uh, You know, you may remember my trials of trying to do something different than Evernote about Two, one to two times every year and I'll try to use Bear or Ulysses or flat text files and then you can almost set a clock within like uh, five to fifteen days I'll just go back to using Evernote but I think this one does not uh, submit to the Evernote problem Evernote any pattern leaving I don't know and uh, it's nice it's like a, it's like a little blogging thing now it's originally built around that old idea of like you should own your own content and cross post it to Twitter so if you really want to, you could simulate Twitter and it'll cross post it to it. But really what it is, is just like a very sort of minimalist, uh, like blogging system. And you can write your blogs and markup. And you can also have pages on it, which is a new system. So it pretty much duplicates everything you would get with WordPress. Uh, but it's not obnoxious. And it has like a very simplistic, like, uh, what do you call that stuff? Webhook? Whatever that X callback nonsense is. And so you can program it to a, a, a little extent. And it's finally, it does one thing that I really like, which is you can hook up IFTTT and have it scan your pinboard bookmarks and then post those bookmarks to your blog. And then if you put your pinboard bookmark in the description and markdown, it actually just copies that over so that you mark down posts there, which is really nice because that's kind of like what I like to do. So it's, it's, uh, if you go to cote.coffee, that's where I'm trying to move all my stuff to. And I think I think it's a good setup. So related, uh, I, I finally, like, I guess, upgraded to using Drafts 5. And I don't know, seems nice. I'm not really sure why it's different. I mean, I know there's some features that make it different. It has tags built in. But like, yeah, sure, good stuff. You should use Drafts 5 or keep using Drafts 4. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, so that that's, that's what I got going on there. So uh, as always... This has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com/150. I think we started this back in uh I don't know, 2014. We got 150 episodes, which is crazy. Wow. Amazing. Uh that would almost get us to be uh flying blue or KLM status uh gold. We just need 20 more episodes and we'll get free lounge access. Uh so we think about that. Anyhow, uh, if you want to see other episodes, figure out how to join our Slack channel, buy t-shirts, get stickers, all the great stuff, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.